You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Well, good morning and welcome. Happy New Year. First, oh yeah, I got a little response on that. First uh, Sunday of 2020, my New Year's promise to you, I don't know if you've dropped the ball on any New Year's resolution yet, um, but my promise to you is that I won't use any illustration that has to do with vision or seeing clearly or 2020 or anything like that. All right, that's my promise to you this year. Um, If you're a guest with us, let me just say a quick word. I'm grateful that you're here. I know it's difficult um, to come into a room like this and it's a big room, but it seems like everybody knows somebody and you feel like you don't know anyone. I know that's difficult. um, And so we're grateful that you had the courage to come into this space. We, Bill said this in the beginning, man, we wanna do whatever we can do to help you connect. And so if there's anything we can do, please let us know. There'll be some people out in the hall afterwards to even pray for you if that's something that would be helpful for you. So we're gonna jump in today. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 3. Um, That's where we're gonna be this morning. At least that's where we're gonna start. If you have been a part of our church, the CBC at all, you know the way we typically do this is that we preach through books of the Bible, right? So in 2019, in the spring, we preached through the book of Judges. And then last fall, we preached through the New Testament letter of Colossians, right? It was a little more... Recent, so you guys got that one. Good job. We're gonna get better, I promise. It'll be a good day. Um, So anyways, next week, we're actually gonna start our spring series through uh, the back half of the book of Genesis, right? Genesis means the beginning. It's the first book of the Bible, and we're gonna see uh, 25 through the end of the book. Um, But before we launch out on that journey, I think we have some work we need to do first. So maybe this will be helpful. Um, You know, before you go on a road trip, you're supposed to kind of assess your vehicle, and make sure the things are kind of up to working order, right? I don't do this because I'm irresponsible, but you're supposed to kind of like, before you go on a road trip, you're supposed to just make sure simple things. Do I have enough gas, right? Is the, the right amount of air pressure in the tires? Because we gotta get that good gas mileage, the whole deal. And if you're really courageous, or really serious about it, what do you, you, you hop out of your car, you go around, you pop the hood, okay? You pick it up, or you open it up rather, you don't pick it up, you open it up and you, you look down in there and, and you just assess the situation, right? And you pretend like you know what you're looking at. No one really does, right? I'm a pastor, I'm not a mechanic, so I don't know what's going on in there. But I look around, I'm supposed to, you know, my, my pops told me, you know, you check the oil, you pull this thing out, you wipe it off, drop it back in, looks good, all right? You know what I mean? Like, all I know is every 3,000 miles or so, you know, it's a, it's a loose, it's a guideline there. Every 3,000 miles, as long as we're doing that, we're good, okay? So anyways, uh, obviously I'm not a mechanic, but um, I think that that is the work that we need to do in our hearts today, this morning, before we go into what God would have us to do this year. And the easy thing to do is pop the hood on a car, look around, pretend like you know what you're doing. It's much more difficult to pop the hood on our hearts. Um, it's much more difficult, uh, it, it, it takes a lot of courage, it takes vulnerability to do that because if we're honest, many of us are, are afraid of what we might actually find there if we open it up and we look around and we dig around a little bit in that. So that's, that's the work that I'm hoping that the Spirit of God will do in us today. And I don't wanna ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself in terms of being vulnerable, so I'll start for us. Um, the past few days, maybe weeks even, I have been incredibly irritable, like agitated, short temper, quick fuse, all those words have described me the past few weeks. And I don't really know why. Maybe it's the stress of the holidays, you know, traveling, um, I know that I don't like clutter and I have a lot of small children and so the, the, the Lord is doing a sanctifying work in my heart in that space of my life, but I, don't like, I like things to be in order and so we just got a, a million presents, a million new things into our home and so how are we gonna find a place for them? Like it stresses me out, so maybe it's that. Maybe it's that we have half of our Christmas decorations still up. 
Like I got to the outside of the house, but the inside of the house is untouched, except for the front bottom third of my tree where all the kids have taken the ornaments off. That part's done, all right? They did that work for me, they're contributing. But anyways, I've just been irritable, okay? And so my son, Zeke, my older son, he turned four on New Year's Day. And we're not gonna have a party for him in, a couple, in like a week or something, I don't really know the date, I should. But we didn't have a party on New Year's Day because he's fragile at this moment and no one would have showed up, okay? So I'm like, buddy, I don't wanna put you through the, the, the terror of having a birthday party that no one shows up to yet. Life's coming, it'll get you eventually, but not at this point. So we just, he wakes up and it's all about him, it's his birthday. What do you wanna do today, buddy? And he says, he wants to go to the park that's red and green. And so that's code for Forsyth Park, okay? Because there's a, if you've been there, there's a green playground and there's the older one, the red playground, and he likes to go back and forth, right? It's just a blast for him. So we go do that, we play longer than we should, and then we load everybody up. It's past lunchtime, and so we're headed home. We're like, buddy, lunch, anywhere you want. He says, chicken fay, you know? So we have to get Chick-fil-A nuggets. We get that, the whole kid's meal, the whole thing, and we get home, and at this point, everyone's tired, everyone's hungry. Again, long past lunchtime, moved well into nap time at this point, um, everyone's tired and hungry, including my pregnant wife, which is a catastrophic combination, okay, in this space. Like, it's just eggshells, right? Any moment's notice, the thing could just explode, right? Um, so it's divide and conquer time. So she takes Zeke, and she's handling his lunch, and we get home, and I take Brooks, my 21-month-old, and I'm handling his, his deal, right? So I'm getting it all unpacked, and we got him a juice box, and so he's ready for the juice, right? And it's, it's, in, it's increasing in volume. Juice, 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 juice. You know, it's kind of ramping up. And I'm fumbling with the rapper, God dang it, get in there, you know? It's, it's a stressful moment, I just wanna invite you into that, okay? And for, for some reason, we give little children who have very little motor skills, these things and they're like vacuum sealed, so like if you even look at it wrong, it squirts out, the whole thing starts like a, you know, like a, a tunnel process or whatever you call that. Um, so anyways, I go to hand him the juice and I'm like aware of this, and so I don't wanna let him hold it because I know if he does, he's gonna squeeze it all, all over him, so I'm trying to hold it, and I just want him to like, you know, drink the juice. Um, but anyways, he grabs it from me and he, you know, he grabs it with some intensity, a little bit of excitement there. And it just, I mean, over two thirds of it just pour out all over him. And so um, all jokes aside, he looks at me right after it happens and um, I completely lost it on him. And I mean like blew up on a 20 month, 21 month old. I don't remember what I said, something like, why would you do that? Like, you know it's gonna squirt out and you know, you know I just kind of lose it on, just blow up. And he like, I'll li hopefully I'll never forget this. He looks at me and his eyes well up with tears and then he just breaks down, just bursts into tears. And immediately I feel this, this wave come over me of guilt and shame. And I had the thought to myself, you are a horrible father. And so, Here's the thing, it would be easy to sweep that under the rug and just kind of say, hey, that was a stressful situation, like, I was tired, right? It, it, it made sense that I responded that way. It'd be easy to do that, just go on about my life, 2020, it's a new year, I wanna try to just not allow that compulsion in me to, to make its way out of me again. I'm just gonna try to white knuckle that and keep it inside, it'd be easy to do that. But what would be better is to pop the hood on, on my, the, the hood of my heart and ask myself the question, what is going on in me that I would lose it on my little boy for spilling some juice? What is going on in me? And this is the space that I want us to lean into together. And again, it's gonna take some courage because we're gonna figure out what that thing is for you. But what's going on inside of you? How are you really right now? So Ephesians 3, verse 14. 
Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So if you've spent any time in church, you're probably familiar with this passage. What we just read was a prayer from the Apostle Paul to a group of people, his friends, uh, in, in a city called Ephesus. And what we know from the book of Acts is that Paul didn't just have a surface level relationship with them, but he spent a significant amount of time with them and he had a significant amount of affection for them. And years later, as Paul is in prison in Rome, awaiting trial, he thinks about his friends and he writes them this letter and he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he's saying to them, this is the reason why I'm bowing my knees before God. And that language sounds familiar to us, but it actually would be striking to them because the typical posture of prayer in the New Testament would not be kneeling or bowing like we're familiar with, it would be standing in reverence. So if you read you know, uh, in Mark and in Luke, you see people praying in the New Testament, they're standing, but here Paul says, I'm bowing my knees before the Father, and here's why, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So the reason why I think this can help us take a look at what's going on inside of us before we go where God wants us to go is because of what he just said there, that you'd be strengthened with power through his spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, in where? In your inner being. And this word inner being, other translations say inner man, and really what it means, it's not physically what's inside of us, organs and whatever else, again, pastor, not, not that kind of person, not, I don't know, anyways. Not physically what's inside of us, but what we mean when we say spirit or soul, right? It's the part of us that's deep inside of us, the essence of who we are that shapes how we live our lives. And if Paul is praying for us to have strength there, it is for them to have strength there, it means that inherently in them, in that place, and in us, in that place, there is a weakness. There's a brokenness inside of us that can lead us to blow up on a kid when, we, when he spills some juice, or whatever that thing is for you, right? Whatever compulsion that you tend to give yourself to when life presses down on you. And so what is that thing for you? Is it anger, is it lust, is it insecurity, is it fear, is it worry, anxiety, things we talked about last week? For me, it was both sides of the spectrum and you saw that. When life pressed down on me, I blew up in anger and then I retreated in insecurity in this belief of going, you are a horrible father. It was both there. There's this weakness in our inner being that shapes how we live our lives. And the Bible says what causes that weakness is sin. And so we don't have time, but if you look at Ephesians 2 verse 1, it says this, that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, which you could say, hey, that's not internal. That sounds like external actions. Well, he goes on to say that we lived in the passions of our flesh, that we carried out the desires of the body and the mind. And so what he's saying here is it's not external dysfunction in our lives that leads to an internal brokenness. It's the inner brokenness that leads to external dysfunction. James 4.1 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So for you, what causes problems in your life? What causes the relational dysfunction that you experience? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
Basically, your relational problems are a result of the brokenness inside of you. And then he gives some examples. Verse two, he says, you desire and so you do not have, so you murder. And you covet and you cannot obtain it. You can't get it and so you fight and quarrel. So he's saying this. There are things you want in life and you'll do whatever it takes to get it, no matter the collateral damage, no matter who you have to push down to get there. And if after all that, you still can't get it, then you blow up on the people closest to you because if you can't be happy in that moment, then you don't want them to be either. That's what he's saying. That's what happened to me. Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in your inner being. That what is broken in you, what is weak in you in your core would be strengthened, that it would be put back together again and made whole from the inside out. He says, according to the riches of his glory. And so Paul here is appealing to the riches of the glory of God, literally appealing to the material wealth of the creator God of the universe who at any moment's notice could have as much of anything he wants. And Paul says, to that degree, I'm praying that you would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, here's why. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Which means that he would be alive in us, right? Or literally that Jesus, the spirit of Christ would inhabit our person, the deepest part of our core, and it would fix us. His presence would fix what is broken in us. And and that's an awesome idea, right? That's language we're familiar with, Christ in us through faith, that Jesus would be alive, that he would be dwelling in us. But what does that mean? I love how Paul anticipates that the the Ephesians are gonna have the same question because he clarifies in verse 17. He says, you want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's how. He says, you would be rooted and grounded in love. And so he makes this connection of Christ being alive in us into this idea of love. And he uses an illustration, right? He says, rooted and grounded. And what he's saying is, love is the anchor that keeps us from coming undone inside. Love is what roots us in and what keeps us grounded. It keeps us from being here. Maybe this will help, it makes sense. Keeps us from being blown away by our emotions, by being swept up in the circumstances of our life when life gets difficult and it presses down on you. And the love he's talking about isn't us loving ourselves. It isn't people loving us. It isn't even us loving the people around us. Look at what he says in verse 17. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, that you, may you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. So Paul says, this reason I bow my knees before the Father. I am on my face before God, praying that the Spirit of God would strengthen you to comprehend this infinite love of God for you in Christ. This is the most important thing that Paul could even think to pray because this is the anchor. This is what keeps us together on the inside and I love that Paul prays that we be strengthened to comprehend it. Like he understands that it's gonna be difficult for us to get there, that we're gonna feel like there's no way, that can't be true. He says, I pray the spirit of God would come in and help you to comprehend, to believe that there is no width to his love for you, that there is no height to his love for you, that it goes on and on and on in every direction and no matter how hard you look or how hard you try, you will never be able to exalt it. Is that not difficult to wrap your mind around? Paul prays, may the spirit of God strengthen you deep inside of you to comprehend this, that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. 
Paul says, I want you to know the love of Christ, but he doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to know that love, and then he says, it surpasses knowledge. This word means to exceed, to go beyond. And so I want you to know this love, I want you to be strengthened to comprehend this love, but it goes beyond knowing. It surpasses knowledge, which means a couple things for us. The first one's this. The best thing that you could possibly think Like literally the best thought that could pop into your mind would be to allow yourself to run free on this idea that God's love for you is infinite. It's the best thought you could possibly think. Read uh, Ephesians 2, look at Ephesians 2 with me. Verse 12, he says, remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, that's the church, and strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope in the world. You were without God, but now in Christ Jesus, verse 13, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As a result, when God the Father turns his gaze on you, there isn't a hint of disappointment, but rather delight because God loves you with the same love that he has for Jesus and it's infinite. It goes on and on and on in every direction and there's no way to fully grasp it. So Paul prays, I'm praying the spirit of God would strengthen you to just try. Christ's love surpasses knowledge, which also means for us that we don't just need to know it, we need to experience it. It isn't just something that happens in our mind that that God's love for us is just some, some spiritual reality. No, it's a reality that it happens in our lives, that we would experience in, in our lives. And so here's the thing. I don't think this means for us to experience God's love, then we're gonna, we should expect this unbelievable amount of material blessing from God. I do think there'll be seasons in your life where that might be true about you, but I don't think that to experience God's love, that's what is necessary. I actually think it's far from that. Because in my experience, most of the people who I've come across who are most aware, most dialed into the fact that God loves them, it loves them in such a way that actually shapes the way they live their lives. Most of those people don't have much. In fact, they have very little. Here's what it does mean, Christ's love surpassing knowledge. James 1 says that every good and every perfect gift is from God, that it comes down from the Father of lights, which means this. Anything that is good in this world, anything that you enjoy, any moment that you've ever thought, this is great, this is awesome, any one of those moments, is a gift directly from God the Father to you. And it should remind you that he loves you. I think it's saying this, this is what Paul's saying. Christ's love surpasses knowledge, I want you to know it. I don't want you just to know it in your mind or know it in your inner being, I want you to know it in your life and experience it. I think he's saying this, look around, right? Dial in to God's grace for you. Dial into his goodness to you. And oftentimes what happens is, It's the things that we take for granted most. He's saying become an expert in the things that are around you, that are these gifts of God. Simple things like air that we breathe. And we sing that song, right? It's your breath in our lungs, and so we pour out your praise. And what that is trying to grab onto is this idea that even the fact that I'm breathing right now is a gift from God. And so despite how bad my circumstances might be, if I'm breathing, I could be reminded that God loves me. Salvation can remind us, something we take for granted so often, that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that he's done for me what the Bible says he has done, that though I was far off, I have been brought near. Family, friends, on and on and on we can go. The flavors in food that you like are a gift from God and should remind you that he loves you. So when we moved here 
a whole bunch of folks helped us move into our home. And I remember we were finishing up and it went really quickly and we were standing out in the street and everyone had left except for me and one of the guys on our elder team. And he looked at me, he looked back at our house and he said, man, he sure does love you. And it made me feel weird because I have a, a problem associating material wealth and blessing with God loving me, but I thought about that a lot and I came to the conclusion like that shouldn't make me feel weird, it should make me worship. He does love me. Not only do I have a home, we have a home that we enjoy coming home to. That is a gift from God. That is a testimony of his love for us and the difference between an intellectual knowing of God's love and an experiential knowing of God's love is this. Intellectual knowing is standing in the street having that conversation and looking back and going, well, you're right, he does love me. An experiential knowing of God's love is living in the house and enjoying it as a good gift from God that it is, right? This is what Paul prays for the Ephesians. He prays this for them, that they would be anchored by Christ's love for them on the inside and that, they would, that, that would lead them. This anchor of Christ's love for them on the inside would lead them to real transformation and real experience of God's love on the outside. And here's why, he says in verse 19, look there. Praying that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, here's why, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So before we go any farther, let me just ask you this. Do you ever feel like something in your life is missing? Meaning you have the thought to yourself and then not necessarily anything's wrong, You're just going about your life and you think, is this it? Is this all that life has to offer? Or maybe it works out in a different way in your life. Maybe it's, what do you want for yourself in life? What do you think, man, if I only had blank, then my life would be different. If this thing were different, then my life would be what I want. What is that? Whatever that thing is for you, let me just tell you this, it is smaller than what Paul is talking about when he says to be filled with the fullness of God. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about it, that those things don't matter. He does, it's just, it's smaller than being filled with the fullness of God. Because here's the reality. Other things can fill us. Other people besides God can fill us. Relationships can fill us. Marriage can fill us. Kids can fill us. Friendships can fill us, right? Things, new stuff. Promotions can fill us. It's just that that fullness cannot last, it doesn't last. Its capacity will inevitably run out to fill you and what's gonna happen is you're gonna get bored with it. And Paul says, I'm praying that you would know the love of Christ because that is the only way to be filled with the fullness of God. Earlier in Ephesians two, Paul's talking about us being saved. In verse six, he says that God has raised us up with him raised us up with Christ, right? This idea that we were dead in our sin, we were made alive in Christ. He's raised us with him to walk in this newness of life. He's seated us with him in the heavenly places. Verse seven, here's why. So that in the coming ages, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The point is that Jesus alone is an inexhaustible well. That there is no end to his love for us and going to anything other than him to fill us will at best leave us feeling like something is missing and at worst lead us to blowing up on our kids when they spill some juice or something far worse than that. Paul says, may you be strengthened with power through his spirit to comprehend the love of Christ that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So this reminds me of a concept I read in a book 
It's called, uh, I read a book one time. Um, it's called When People Are Big and God Is Small. It's by a guy named Ed Welch, he's a counselor. If you don't have a book lined out for 2020, I'd say pick it up. When people is big, people are big, not is, and God is small, um, Ed Welch. And, and he says in there that we are all love tanks with a leak, which means that we're all looking to people and things to fill us, except for we have a leak, right? So we're looking to people and things to make us feel like we matter, to make us feel like we have a sense of purpose or worth in the world, and the problem is that no matter how much love we put in, no matter how much people love us or how much we love ourselves or how much things, no matter what we get, it can never stay full because it's always leaking out the bottom. And he says most of us, even Christians, we live our lives this way, constantly frustrated, constantly feeling like we keep missing something, right? But the bigger problem is when we live this way, looking to other people, our kids and our spouses and our friends and our family to fill us, when we live this way, it prevents us from actually being able to love them because we need them to love us. And what's maybe even worse is it ultimately crushes them because we are placing on them an expectation that is impossible for them to meet. It breaks our, our, our relationship. It's this inner brokenness that leads to our external dysfunction. And so it's one cycle of disappointment after another. And Welch calls this a love tank. Paul calls it the inner being. The point is the same, we're broken. There's a leak in us on the inside and the only way for it to be fixed is for Christ to come in with his presence and fill us. It's the only way. Again, it's internal brokenness that leads to external dysfunction. So, boots on the ground. It was my expectation that my wife and my kids fill me and listen to me and obey me, which makes me, made me feel like I matter. It was that expectation that led to me losing it on my son when he spilled his juice. But if I was filled with the fullness of God in that moment, if I was dialed into the reality that I'm loved by the God of the universe infinitely, I'm filled with the fullness of God. If, if I was there, then this, these children are a gift. This home is a gift, this meal is a gift, and I don't deserve any of it. And it rolls up into worship regardless of what my circumstances might be. Because it's then and only then when we're filled with the fullness of God that when the circumstances of our life begin to press down on us, what spills out of us instead of frustration about unmet expectations, what spills out of us instead is the love of God. We get to extend that to the people around us. And so if I were you right now, I'd be thinking, yeah, there's no way. Sounds good and all, right? Great job. No way, not me. I've been doing this Jesus thing for a little while and that's not been my experience. Well, look at where Paul goes next, verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And so he says, I know this seems impossible, but we have a God who does impossible things. We have a God who can do far more abundantly than anything that we could ask or think. Other translations of this passage will say, God can do infinitely more than anything we could ask or imagine. What if that sentence shaped your prayer life? The fact that God could do infinitely more than even your wildest dreams, what if that shaped the way that you interacted with God? How different would your life be? How different would our church be? I want you to see something here. He says, God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask according to what? 
according to the power at work within us. And so he's talking about what he prayed earlier, right? The power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, strengthening us to comprehend this reality, this infinite reality that we are infinitely loved by the creator God of the universe. He's talking about the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And he says, this is the power at work within us. And in verse 21, he says, which us he's talking about. He says, to him be glory in the church. And so the idea here is that God is glorified, that his beauty and his, his goodness is put on display to the world around us when people, when the church, when we dial into this reality that we're loved by him and we allow the, the fullness of God to come into us in such a degree that it spills out on the people around us. This is what it means when we say, hey, go and be the church. We're saying, go and be people who are so convinced of God's love for you that anyone you bump into along the way gets wet with that. That's what we're saying. Go and be the church. This is what it means. This is who we want to be at CBC. And when I say CBC, I don't mean our staff or our elders or the organization. I'm talking about you and us. This is who we want to be. So what does this look like practically? And I hesitated to even put this section in there because Paul doesn't give us any practical application. In this section, he just says, I'm praying for it to happen because if it does, your life will never be the same. It will transform you. But I know there's a whole bunch of type A people in the room right now who are like, I'm ready to make a list. All right, I gotta put pen to paper. What do you want me to do? And so flip over to Acts 2. In Acts 2, what we see happening is the birth of the New Testament church, right? So Jesus dies on a cross, three days later he resurrects from the grave, literally overcoming sin and death and he appears to his friends and the disciples and he, the Bible says that he spends 40 days with them and at the end of that time he says to them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem and he gives them a promise. He says the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's going to empower you. This is Acts 1-8. The Holy Spirit's gonna come and give you power and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he says, wait there, and then he ascends to heaven. And they're like, what the heck? But he said, wait, so let's wait. Acts chapter one, in the end of chapter two, Jesus makes good on his promise, the Holy Spirit shows up, and so now the Spirit is at work within them. Again, and what we saw in Ephesians three means the Spirit is strengthening them in their inner being to comprehend with all the saints that there is an infinite love of God that exists for them in Christ. And what we're about to read in Acts 42, verse 47, is a, is a description of what happens when people believe that they're loved by God. This is who we wanna be. We wanna be a people who are so dialed into the love of God for us, so convinced of it in our inner being that it actually shapes the way we live our lives and affects the way that we interact with the people around us. We want that, but we wanna long for more. Because if God is a God who can do infinitely more than all we could ask or imagine, why wouldn't we ask him? Look at verse 42. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to the proceeds of them to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So because we don't have a ton of time, let me just point out a few things here. In verse 42, 
it says when the spirit of God comes into these people and really convinces them that they're loved by God in Christ, it says they devoted themselves. This is the first thing we see happen in believers in Jesus is it creates devotion. So this word means to persevere. It means to commit yourself to. And so I'll just ask you, what are they committed to? First thing we see, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So an apostle was someone who had spent time with Jesus. So their teaching would have been the Old Testament, but it also would have been included Jesus' life and his ministry, right? His death and his resurrection. The good news of the gospel, that you and I are loved by God, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. That is the apostles' teaching. We call that the Bible. Creates devotion there. The Spirit of God created a commitment to, in their lives, to the scriptures. And then it says, also, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And then it clarifies with two ways that this is describing what the fellowship is. Fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the breaking of bread here is not communion, although they would have done that together. It's actually dinner. It's literally sharing their lives in such a way that they had meals together. And it didn't happen every once in a while because there was a devotion to it. There was a commitment to it. And the difference is what happened this morning when you saw some people when you came here, like, man, I ain't seen you forever. We should get together. We should have dinner. Oh, let's put it on the calendar. We'll get to that. And then you never do. That's not a devotion to it. That's a commitment to it. What they were doing was more like this. They were living their lives together. And they go, hey, you hungry? We should eat. It's living life together. Commitment to devotion to one another. And it says they prayed for each other which means they didn't just say they were gonna pray for each other, but they actually prayed for each other and they prayed with one another and they prayed Ephesians 3 type prayers that God would do infinitely more than we could ever think or ask or even imagine of him to do. They prayed these types of prayers for one another. So when the spirit of God came into these believers, it created them a commitment to two things, the Bible and each other. And we call that community. Does that sound familiar? Here's the thing. This is another one of those diagnostic tests for our hearts. So we've already popped the hood there. We're saying, hey, how am I doing inside? How am I doing at believing that that I'm loved by God and I'm allowing that to fill me and shape the way that I live? And here's one thing for you to look at on the outside is just ask yourself this question. Am I committed? Are you committed? Is there a devotion in your life to the Bible and to community that looks anything like this? I'm not asking you if you, are you reading your Bible? Because there's a way for you to read your Bible that's treating it like a combination lock. Like if I do it right at the right time, I do it for long enough and I put the code in right, then it'll open and my life will be what I want. We don't read the Bible to get something other than God. We read the Bible to get God, to experience in him and to listen to him and to lean in to what he has to say to us. Is there a devotion in your life to the scriptures? I'm asking, or I'm not asking if you come to church meaning you show up in this room every once in a while on Sunday, I'm asking, is there a commitment in your life to the people here? A devotion in your life to the people that God has put around you. So our mission at CBC, you may have seen this on our website, whatever, our mission statement is that we exist to to glorify God by making disciples, right? By equipping people to follow Jesus through community in the Bible. Boil it down basically to this. We exist to make much of God, to glorify him by helping other people follow Jesus. That's why we exist. That's why we're here, to help one another follow Jesus. And I just wanna ask you, you know that's not just for our staff and elders. Not just for the organization. That's for all of us. That we exist as a church 
to help one another follow Jesus and to make much of him in the process. That we would actually spend our time together, not just attend things together. That we would share meals together and pray Ephesians 3 type prayers for one another. And look at verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I know that makes a lot of us uncomfortable. Right? I'm not saying that. We're not taking a special offering today. I'm just pointing out what happens when the Spirit of God takes root in your heart is that your grip on your material possessions will begin to loosen. The Spirit of God does this work in us, and what is replaced there is a glad and generous heart, the Bible says. Is there a commitment in us, in you, a devotion to one another where if you see someone who needs help, you don't think, hey, someone should help them, you step in and help them. And help them follow Jesus. And I realize how impossible this sounds, especially in our culture, right? We're so far from a commitment-based culture, it's not even funny. We live in a preference-based culture. Whatever I prefer is how I live my life, right? So I'm hungry right now, but I don't really prefer to go get food. I don't wanna cook food. I don't even wanna go pick it up. I'm gonna order it and have someone else bring it to me. Right? That's DoorDash, right? That, that's how Uber Eats. That's how we live our lives. This is a preference-based culture so it makes this so difficult. Let me read you this from a pastor in New York City. He, he rewrote this passage, Acts 42 through 47, through the lens of a preference-based culture. And I just want you to listen. I don't, want, I don't read this to you to heap shame on you. I just want to, by, by contrast, which one of these more accurately describes our experience? He says this. They studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They fellowshiped when they could fit it in. They prayed when they needed something and they got coffee together every now and again. They were content without and had low expectations for signs and wonders in their lives. And they sometimes talked about generosity, but they kept their possessions for themselves. They didn't invite people into their homes and they rarely revealed their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to the people around them and occasionally someone was randomly saved. So again, not to like make you feel bad this morning, but which does that paragraph or what we read in the Bible more accurately describe our experience? And I know this is difficult, but this is what sets us apart as the people of God, that we would be willing to lay down this what's in it for me, preference-based life of the world around us, and we would take up what can I do for you, a willingness to commit to one another. And guys, committing ourselves to one another in this way is scary and it does not come without risk, but let me just set you free this way. We are free to commit ourselves to one another regardless of what happens to us because our God has freely committed himself to us. And we are free to extend love to people regardless of how they might reciprocate that because our God has given us his best love in Jesus regardless of how we might reciprocate to him. We don't need people to love us because we're filled with the fullness of God. Look at the result of living this way, verse 47. As opposed to, they were largely irrelevant to the people around them and occasionally someone was randomly saved. They praised God and they had favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I need you to know that this verse is not prescriptive, it is descriptive, meaning it is a description of what God did in and through this group of people in this particular time in history, and it's not prescriptive of what every church experience should be, 
But if this is possible, shouldn't we be asking for that? Like if that is the work that God can do, if he could do infinitely more than all we could ask or imagine, shouldn't we be leaning in, not content with whatever part of God we have now in our life, whatever part of satisfaction we have with God in our life now, but shouldn't we be leaning in and saying, God, I want infinitely more in my heart. I want infinitely more in my home. I want infinitely more in my neighborhood and in this city and around the world, God, would you do what we couldn't even ask or imagine? And so when you go to work, you say, God, do more than I could imagine at work today. It fuels us in our lives. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you say, God, do more than I could ever imagine or think in these hearts of these little babies right here. If you're a student in the class and on and on, this is what motivates us. This should be what we're praying and asking for God to do more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. That we would be a church full of people who are filled with the fullness of God. So strengthened by the power of the spirit. So convinced that we are loved by Jesus that it actually shapes the way we live our lives. And people go, I don't know what it is, but something's different. That's what we wanna be. We don't wanna be content with whatever we have here, right? And God has been good to us. Yes, I'm not saying let's forget about all the things God has done in our lives. Absolutely, praise God for the work he's done, but let's not be content to stay here. God, to press us in, what do we want for 2020? We ask ourselves, pop the hood on our heart and say, how am I doing? Why did this happen? Why am I blowing up in this way? Why am I retreating into insecurity? We do that work in our hearts because God can do far more abundantly than anything we could ask or imagine of him. That we'd be so dialed into his goodness and his grace, so experiencing the love of, his, the love of God in his lives that we can't help but share that with the people around us. It just flows out of us. I mean, I'm praying that we would taste and see that this year. That we wouldn't be content with just however full the room is now. God can do more abundantly than we could ask or imagine. I could imagine some pretty crazy things. Which means I can imagine, instead of two services of this room being filled, we have four. God could do more abundantly. Not because we're great, but because he's great. I could imagine that person in your family, that person in my family who's so hard-hearted toward the gospel, as soon as you leave here, I can imagine your phone ringing and them calling you and them saying, hey man, Tell me about this Jesus thing. God can do far more abundantly than all we could ask or imagine. Can we just run into that? Together in 2020, lean in and ask God, pray in these Ephesians 3, these big prayers, and we're gonna do this. So we do every week as we gather, but specifically and intentionally, as Bill mentioned, on January 15th at 6.30, Wednesday night, in this room, we're gonna gather and we're gonna ask God to do that type of thing in our heart, in our homes, in our neighborhood, in this neighborhood, in our city. I just wanna invite you to be there. Make it a priority. Typically, the, the prayer gathering is the least attended thing the church does. Why is that? If this is who our God is, why aren't we asking him? Love for you to be there. I hope this room's so full, standing room only, people in the video venue just pleading with God. Do what only you could even fathom because you love us in a way that is unfathomable. I'm gonna finish this way and then I'm gonna pray for us. I said earlier that because of Christ, when God the Father turns his gaze to you, he is not disappointed in you. In fact, he delights in you. I just want you to sit in that for a moment. 
regardless of what you do or what you've done, in this moment right now, because of Jesus, God is not disappointed in you. He loves you with the same love that he has for his perfect, spotless son, Jesus. Let me pray for us and let's sing and respond to that good news today. God, you're good and we don't deserve it. Our sins are many. Your mercy is more. It's new every morning for us. Help us, God, to believe, be convinced by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are loved by you. Allow this moment in history, God, to be something that changes our lives forever. This is the moment that I went all in for Jesus because I know he loves me. And I don't need the people around me to fill me up. I don't need the people around me to love me or to offer themselves to me. I can fully offer myself to them because I am filled with the fullness of God. That is the work of the Spirit. God, would you do abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine in our hearts and in our homes and in our church, in our city, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.